Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, Corey, from Corey's Digs. How you doing, Corey? I'm doing good. I'm ready to rock and roll. We got lots to cover today. Yes, we do. I'm feeling refreshed. I had a week off and went vacationing up in the mountains. It was cold and snowy and <laughs> muddy because it was starting to melt off, but it was fun. It was good. Relaxing. And- that does sound like a blast. I was trying to take a week off, but I've been dealing with two elderly animals that are both getting towards their end stages. So it's it's been quite a lot of work. Yep, yep. You've had a lot of personal stuff going on. But yeah. uh, it's glad to, I'm glad to be back. It's good to be back. And we do have a lot of stuff to go over. I know that you have a couple of announcements that you want to make on things that I've published on Corey's Digs as well as talk about the FTC's Green Guides update, which many people may not know about. Also, a handful of other things that you wanted to just chat about. And then I'm going to get into the situation with the banks, as well as the impending rollout of CBDCs here in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, definitely a lot to discuss. Goodness gracious. Can't wait to hear about that part. I'm glad that was you covering that, not me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we got, uh, so this is something Sarah Westall's been working her tail off on with Tom Renz and others. Um, This is the censored conference, which starts, uh, well, tomorrow, but technically today when you're hearing this, because we record the day before. So March 24th, it premieres. Uh, Awesome group of speakers in here. It's going to be live streamed um, and it's free. However, if you purchase a ticket, you can use coupon code Corey and get $25 off. And that'll give you like on-demand access for all of 2023 for all the conferences. So you can watch it whenever you want. Um, So there's, this is about, and, and, and what they're raising money for, just so you know, nobody's getting paid for this. It's it's going to uh, uh, initiatives and actions and lawsuits and, you know, to actually take action and keep fighting. And so I see a lot of good people on the panel here. Yeah. Yeah. We've got goodness. uh, And and they keep being added. So there'll be more and more added. I'm actually going to do the conference in late April. Um, so you got like Mike Adams and, you know, Dave Janda, of course, Sarah Westall, Tom Renz, uh, James Roguski, uh, goodness, there's, there's a whole bunch of people I have it listed here. So I highly suggest people go in, you know, like I said, it's free, but if you do get the on-demand pass, then it helps them with lawsuits and taking action. So that's pretty cool. I like that they put all this together. Um, Cause you know, this, this is, we're all being censored to the hilt here. And we're not just talking about social media. I mean, we're talking about our First Amendment right, for goodness sakes, across yeah. the board. And with this kind of uh, heavy hitters at this conference, I can imagine that it's just going to be an avalanche of good information. Yep. Yeah, all right. definitely. All right. So check that out. We'll have to leave a link in the description below for people to access it. Yeah. And then... We also have Simon Essler's new uh, documentary, which investigates the history of cosmetic surgery, teenage mental health, and modern media trends that reveal part of a larger warped legacy 
being handed to young girls leading up to the explosive popularity of gender ideology. And it's called Cut Daughters of the West. And so I have the trailer in here. Um, it, it looks phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to this coming out. And it's so important, such an important topic. And so it's going to be uh, the VIP world premiere screening for Cut is going to take place on April 15th in Phoenix, Arizona as a fundraiser for the Gavo project. And that's all linked here. Um, and then it'll include a panel discussion with Esler and other figures that are featured in the film. So you can actually go into Vimeo uh, on demand that right now, and there's pre-orders available for it. So definitely check that out. Uh, we know I've, I've done a lot of work on the whole transgender agenda. And uh, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing this documentary. I'm sure it will be excellent. Yeah, having the backstory on how it got so bad to the point where we are really having to fight against cutting and mutilating children at this it's point. Terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's gotten so bad. But yes, I think that that would be really a, an important documentary to put everything in context and see how it all started and how we've gotten to this point. Well, and that's something, too, that's important. So I can't remember who it was. Someone over on Twitter the other day asked in a little poll, like, do you believe that the transgender, you know, is a mental health issue? Yes or no. Or a mental illness, rather. And the thing is, is it's a yes and no question. Because if you go back and you look at the timeline, like I only went back to 1950, which was pretty f significant in itself. There was a lot going on. You can see the players. You can see how they pushed this, how they created the central precocious puberty to bring in the puberty blockers to then later use it as off-label and create the term gender dysphoria so we can now flag it as a mental health issue to then uh, later claim it as a disability under the ADA to protect them so that they can move this agenda forward. So when you have years and years of brainwashing going on and psychologists saying on people's first appointment, oh, oh, well, that's just because you think that you're a girl or you think that you're a boy. And, uh, and they've done this with adults too. So we need to get you on you know, hormone therapy right away. And, and when you have people pushing this for decades, of course, it's going to become a mental health issue because you've confused the hell out of everyone and you've created an identity crisis. So it's it's to me, it's it's a brainwashing and an indoctrination. And a lot of people that are transgender have had past traumas, you know, and, and of course, the suicide rate is high, too. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll get, you know some feedback on this, but no, I think you're I think spot on. I think you're I, I think absolutely spot on. I, I think there's, there's a, a brainwashing, a, you know, a whole cultural um, indoctrination that took place that created a staggering amount of confusion that can, you know, they like to call it gender dysphoria that we created. And I'm not saying, cause you're going to get people that are going to say, well, I knew I was gay when I was born. Okay. Uh, that that's probably true if that's how you feel and that's but how you it can't... works for you. But transgender with the hormone therapy and the surgeries on kids that we're seeing 
when you look at the evolution of this, mm-hmm. this has been a massive brainwashing scheme. Absolutely. You can't deny the social aspect of it. You right. absolutely can't deny how how it has really exploded in recent years. And that isn't due to more people being born feeling this way. It's due to the social aspect of it and right. the indoctrination and just the being inundated with it in all forms, whether it's in schools or social media or friends and circles of friends or it's, it's everywhere. Yep. Yep. So if, if we can go to, let's see, you got the gab thread. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that one first. So I had received an email from a mom asking if I was aware of any um, books or materials that would be good for teenagers to help them understand the agendas and what's going on, you know, something that's a little more simplified and whatnot. And so I put, post this question on Gab and it was great. We got 64 replies here. And so we're going to share this Gab thread. And I don't believe you have to necessarily have an account with Gab or be logged in to be able to see this. If you go to the direct link, you should be able to scroll through this. So people looking for resources, people have listed out a ton of books. And of course, some have pointed out you know, a lot of your teens aren't, or children are not going to want to read books. So um, they mentioned movies and some of those were, you know, our, our brand is crisis, Moneyball, the big short, wag the dog. Um, I mean, there's, we could, we could spend the whole hour just going through all the comments and suggestions and series that are in here. So I want to thank everyone who contributed to this thread because there's a lot of really good information in here. Yeah, uh, and it would be great for if you did click on the link um, and had some suggestions to add to that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And share it yeah, with, mix with it up parents. A bit with, yeah. With media and uh, <clears throat> movies and whatnot as well because, you know, yeah, we're going to have kids these days. They don't want anything to do with reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved reading books when I was younger. I liked it more when I got older. I didn't appreciate it because it was like required when I was younger. But as I got oh, older, I loved it. I loved it. I loved reading like mysteries and stuff when I was a kid. Yep. Yep. Love Now I hardly have any time sci-fi. to read books because I'm always reading, you know, websites and legal documents and all that jazz. Same, same. I don't have time for luxury reading anymore. <laughs> All, right. So- All right. So FTC, we'll roll to the FTC one. So I don't even know what I was looking into, dude, and I came across this. And this is the FTC's Green Guide update. So the Federal Trade Commission has requested comment on whether to retain, modify, or rescind the Green Guides which were originally issued in 1992, last revised in 2012, and comments are due April 24th, 2023. So uh, there's guides and there's regulations, right? And so with the guides, although I would say that the FTC can pretty much do whatever the hell they want, they don't have a whole lot of oversight. Um, I've had to deal with them myself. So the, the green guides, I'm just going to read portions of this that I kind of highlighted for myself so people understand because it's kind of a double-edged sword. So it's kind of interesting. So the green guide helps companies determine whether marketing statements about the environmental benefits of goods and services would be misleading for consumers. For example, you know, they get into 
guidance on, uh, you know, interpretation of specific terms on what consumers consider, you know, well, what does non-toxic mean? What is recyclable? Uh, the guide addresses claims about carbon offsets. Um, they, the revised green guides are likely to set additional guideposts for climate change carbon reductions, ESG, and sustainability claims. And we have an interesting date coming up on this. So the FTC has asked whether it should revise its carbon offset guidance and add additional specific guidance on claims about climate change. Hmm. The FTC is soliciting comment on consumers' interpretation of widely used and previously unaddressed terms such as net zero, carbon neutral, low carbon, carbon negative, sustainable, and organic. The FTC has also asked if, and they missed a word, they should add guidance on energy use and efficiency. Uh, their request for comment may signal areas of future enforcement activity. So they talk about, you know, for example, Volkswagen and Porsche spent $9.5 billion repaying car owners under FTC orders based on misleading claims that cars were low emission and environmentally friendly. Uh, light bulb manufacturers that allegedly exaggerate, I like how they say that allegedly, that allegedly exaggerated the energy, <laughs> allegedly, but we made them pay out $20 million. <laughs> What is that? I, I think that's got to be a type error there. And then they say possible expansion of STC enforcement authority. So currently, they, the, the difference between guides, which are used as interpretive guidance as to what the FTC considers to be unfair and deceptive under Section 5 of the FTC Act, and formal rulemaking is significant as the FTC lacks general civil penalty authority under Section 5 of the FTC Act. However, if the FTC issues a formal rule, then it is entitled to seek civil penalties of up to $50,120 per violation. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Possibly increased FTC focus on ESG statements and antitrust enforcement. So in November, they issued a policy statement <clears throat> that signaled an expanded view of regulation of unfair methods of competition. And then in December 2022, uh, they issued a statement announcing the regulatory review of the Green Guides uh, FTC Chair Lena Khan noted that in addition to providing guidance on deceptive advertising, the Green Guides clarify the boundaries for fair legal competition and that deceptive environmental claims puts rivals as a competitive disadvantage and harm consumers. The sprinkling of antitrust speak in the Green Guides statement could be an omen of new areas of future enforcement activity, including targeting conduct that violates the spirit of the antitrust laws. And we go on to talk about more about the, the ESGs. And what's interesting is you remember back in December of last year when Vanguard all of a sudden said, uh, we're going to pull out of our major investment industry initiative on tackling climate change. And they're started steering clear of the whole ESG thing. And it just makes me wonder with the timing of this, and don't get me wrong, I'm certainly not saying, oh, the FTC is here to protect us all, because that's not that's not it. But I find that timing coincidental. Um, the, the SEC also has issued draft regulations that would define 
as materially deceptive or misleading the use of ESG in a fund name unless ESG factors as a central factor in its investment decisions. So this happened also in 2022. The SEC came in with all these um, proposed climate change disclosure regulations and proposed regulations governing registered fund and advisor disclosures relating to ESG. So that's interesting. Um, And so basically they're saying the green guides may be used in private litigation, alleging greenwashing as well. And so they're telling companies that they need to basically submit written comment um, on this and pay attention to the green guides. And well, hey, do we want to remove the green guides? Do we want to um, establish more formalities where we actually can, you know, have a formal rulings and more penalties and fines. And so I think it's, I think it's interesting that for one, we know that they can use this to hit the smaller guys, right? Start Definitely. them all with fines. We already know that. Um, I have seen them go after like the, uh, uh, the whole bamboo debacle, is it? Is it rayon? Is it organic? Is it this? Is it that? They have gone after some big companies along with the smaller companies when it came to that. And as we've seen, they've also gone after um, Volkswagen and whatnot. But to these companies, they're taking a hit in order to set the standards. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's they're they're willingly taking that hit and let's just keep relabeling this and reworking this so that the public believes that we're on their side and we're looking out for their best interest while we establish the exact phrasing however they do talk about later in this they do get into how if there are marketing claims on net zero or um ESG or carbon offsets that that it should be scientifically backed yeah. So, so we'll see where this goes. It seems but... to me like the FTC and the SEC are in cahoots to try to establish sort of a framework for mm-hmm. if you're going to claim that you're green, we have to prove that you're green. While at the mm-hmm. same time, the SEC is forcing this like climate disclosures rule uh, coming right. down soon um, to all businesses where they have to report um, yep. Their climate disclosures for their entire value chain, meaning they have to uh, basically cut ties with any businesses that aren't green because they, otherwise they would have to report that to the FTC. So it just seems to me like it's a framework for monitoring um, everybody's you know, CO2 emissions, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a way of, like you said, targeting small businesses because those are the ones that are going to get hit the most with this kind of regulation and consolidating more power and control with these big, giant, mega conglomerates like BlackRock and Vanguard and all of the big mega corporations that are kind of all in on this ESG scam, right? Right, right. Well, and especially... See, because I would normally say you got front of the house, back of the house. These guys are like back of the house. They're like clean up. They're they're on. You can't say this. You can't say this. You have to say it this way. You can't say it that way. Whereas we've got legislation or the president, you know, all corruption at the federal level saying we're going to roll this these new regulations out. And the FTC is going to come in and say whether you're sticking to it or not. But 
they actually mentioned in here, ah, did I cover that? Where they ask about whether the, where did it go? Whether they should expand on uh, carbon emissions, on, on better defining it and clarifying it. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, exactly what you said, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So comment if you want, because the <laughs> FTC is asking for comments. They're due by April 24th. You have time. So get your comments yeah. in on what you feel about green guides and the FTC um, really monitoring and getting into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, what they're going to, what kind of policies that they're going to enforce later on on green guides as well as the sec enforcing rules um on reporting those you know climate emissions basically yeah i mean overall it looks like they're trying to look out for the people but we know that's not the case so yeah it's always everything else we like with everything else (laughs) yeah i know like like here's one of my favorite ones. So this this is a great tactic they've come up with recently, and it's it's worked quite well for them. Um, where you know the puppets that do handle all of Biden's social media, they keep hammering out, and as well as other politicians, we need to tax the billionaires. We need higher taxes on the billionaires, and da da. And then what they do is they get a whole cheering section, including many people from the right, going, yeah tax those billionaires because of course people on the right are thinking oh well that's your bill gates and that's your soros and that's your this and that's your that and they should be taxed more but what's really happening is they're getting everyone to cheer on taxes which are completely illegal so they're, they're getting everyone to feed into the system that shouldn't even be existing in the first place and i'm not going to get into the details of that but income versus wages is you know and earnings two totally different things And furthermore, the billionaires that people would like to see, you know, take a hit, uh, they're covered. They've got their foundations. They roll everything through there. And then they get grants from the government. They've got their offshore accounts. Right. right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're, they're sad. So no, and you're just driving businesses because the billionaires are the businesses or mm-hmm. they're the ones that that run businesses that, you know, make the economy go, whether you like that or not. But yeah, I mean, like, so you're just driving business out of the country when you have higher taxes and they're just going to go to a more tax friendly environment. Right. But it's really driving out jobs little, with it. It's a genius little tactic because they're getting everyone to cheer on taxes. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, that's really, really, really the ploy here. Yeah. So it's it's just like the war tactic, right? Since when do we sit and cheer on war? I mean, they've gotten so many people, I stand with Ukraine, and, and they, they create this little division, and they they now have millions of people cheering on a war. Meanwhile, billions of dollars is going over, probably not to that, and uh, military equipment, which God knows where that's really going, if it's really going or what's really happening there, you know, that could be a whole money siphon too. Uh, but people are cheering this crap on. So because of the way they phrase things and, you know, we stand with and we're for and we will protect these people and da, 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 and they get everyone behind them. Yeah. War, more war. It's crazy. 
It is insane. It's absolutely insane. We've got to get some critical thinking in this country because stop listening to the talking points, turn the TV off, you know, turn the social media off, whatever. But I mean, just stop listening to the talking points and, and, and think critically, think critically about what's really going on. Yeah. Because their whole goal is they keep moving the needle, moving the needle, right? They want to blur Mm -hmm. the line of normal. So there is no more normal. There's no normalcy whatsoever anymore. They've gone so radical on everything to let's give $5 million to, you know, certain black people in California for reparations. And let's, let's say that men can have babies and let's, uh, you know, they throw out some of the most insane things because they, they need to blur the line. They need to get it to a point where things are so out there and crazy and and beyond the norm that people can't see what normalcy is anymore. And so they become confused and they just go along with it and they think, Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Well, my friends are saying that's good. So yay. (laughs) Yeah. I think that what we're watching is a systematic destabilization on everything. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, you know, any kind of institution that you had faith in previously that was consistent over the past several decades as being always being reliable, it's being destabilized. And that's how Mm -hmm. you topple governments. That's how you topple nations. And that's how you bring in a one world government. You have to first destabilize everything. And so, and it's not just constructs of say the banking system. It's also like social constructs too like what is a woman you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you have to deconstruct everything and destabilize everything um and and i definitely think that that's um intentional by design um although it's like hard to pinpoint what specific entity is responsible for doing this it's like it's coming it's the death by a thousand cuts (laughs) coming from all different angles and so many different entities involved in kind of a giant conspiracy to destabilize the the whole world really in order to usher in this you know great reason but here's where they're feeling okay we're in this massive narrative war and there's there's always two narratives to there's the first narrative and then there's the follow-up for them for the corrupt right so the first narrative is we're going to destruct something like you were just talking about the second narratives we're going to come in and save it and that worked for them for a long time people were like oh here come our saviors they're going to make this right they're going to do a bailout they're going to save this we're going to be okay we don't have to worry about it our master's got this covered now people are going well shit that just got totally destructed, destroyed, destabilized. Um, I now feel insecure. I now don't trust those institutions. I now don't trust the schools. I don't trust the government. I don't trust this. I don't trust that. And so when the saviors come in, they're like, uh, you're not saving anything. We don't trust you. So they're losing the second narrative. Absolutely, and, they are. And I mean- that's, that's becoming a problem for them. Because in some cases, they're having to take 10 steps back and they're going to have they they now got to go down, you know, and they got their playbooks. So, okay, well, that one's not going to work. So let's try this one or let's try that one. But as much as we're being squeezed, they're being squeezed, too, because the they're feeling on a lot of narrative fronts. 
And oh, so, they are definitely. And you take the vaccines for now. Uh, I say vaccines, you know, you know what I mean. Gene therapy, the, experimental, the, we know. Ex- experimental <laughs> gene therapies. I mean, that, that narrative has completely collapsed. The, um, the, Mm-hmm. Desire for people to go get a, the next jab has shrunk to, I think it's just incredibly all time lows. Um, right. I can't remember the latest numbers, but people are not buying into, and that's just one of their narratives that they've completely failed on. So it right. is an uphill battle for them. They have to get, they have gotten more and more desperate and don't ever um, discount what desperate people will do um, Mm -hmm. because I think that it could get even more wild and crazy. Um, But we have to, that's why we have to stay really, really grounded at this time and kind of expect those wild and crazy things to happen because of their desperation that they're losing the narrative. Don't you think? Oh yeah. Because it goes hand in hand. So while they keep trying to move the needle on what's normal and let's keep moving things to radical and let's keep destabilizing then in order to do that, they're also having to do all this destruction at the same time. And so people are seeing, uh, no, that's completely not normal. Not that there is a normal, you know, I hate that word to be honest, but you know what I'm trying to say? There were, there was a balance. There was a sense of normalcy. There was a structure, there was routine. And, and now we're going to say everything is upside down from what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what they're going to say. And then we're just going to keep throwing this and throwing this and throwing this and seeing what sticks. And things are not sticking. So I think they're really struggling on the narrative front. And if they can't get the narrative on some of these agendas, those agendas are going to crumble. I mean, there are some where they could come in and say, no, we're, you know, like big box stores could say, we're closing our doors and there's nothing we could do about that. It's out of our hands. But there's a lot of things that we can do things about or that it's it's going to ruin destroy their bottom line they're going to go financially broke and so they're not going to be able to pursue the narrative that they're on which kind of leads into where we're at now with this whole banking thing (laughs) and you can take it away with the banking thing and i'll hit mute so you can stop hearing my cat yelling in the background (laughs) (laughs) well yeah definitely one of their narratives um is wrapped up in the whole banking situation and um, how they're going to come in as the saviors, right? With their new oh, yeah. CBDC, it's going to save us all, right? That's right. But we have to give it a little bit of background. So recently we saw the collapse of Silicon Bank, Silicon Valley Bank. And this was the 16th largest bank in the U.S. and the largest collapse since the 2008 financial crisis. So SVB had $209 billion in assets, and 90% of their deposits were over $250,000, which would have been uninsured by the FDIC. But so SVB is known as one of the most woke banks. They focus more on social justice than on risk management. In fact, they didn't even have a chief risk officer for part of 2022 when all of this was starting to fall apart. But the CEO Hmm. and the top execs knew what was going on. Uh, They saw the risks well in advance. They sold 
uh, about 7 million in stocks in the weeks prior to the collapse and likely knew something was coming for a long time before that because they sold 84 million in stocks over the past two years. So th they've seen the writing on the wall and we're just basically, uh, you know, obfuscating what was really going on. And so SVB has mainly been um, a financer for startups and tech. Um, a lot of tech companies had billions deposited at SVP, including software companies, pharma, biotech companies. Um, so SVP took those deposits and invested in long-term treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And a lot of banks do that. And when the Fed raised rates and deposits shrank, SVB had to sell those securities at a loss, which was is what triggered a bank run. And big depositors like Peter Thiel's Founders Fund, uh, they you know were pulling out. So after this big bank run, the Fed seized SVB. And um, even though the FDIC is only supposed to insure deposits up to 250000 the Fed and the Treasury stepped in and said, no, we're going to cover all of the deposits, <laughs> no matter how big they are, right? Because mm -hmm. we got to cover our biotech companies. We got to cover big pharma and uh, big tech. So... Um, this is definitely going to increase inflation. I don't care what they say about how this isn't going to be something that the taxpayers have to fund. It's absolutely going to hit everybody with inflation, the way that the Fed is propping up um, these, these, all of these deposits. So, um, and also they're setting a precedent for doing this with other banks who are likely to go under soon. So the fallout of SVB uh, led to a bank run and collapse of another mid-sized bank, Signature Bank, out of New York. And Signature Bank was the first FDIC-insured bank to launch a blockchain-based digital payments platform. And it was a major platform for crypto banking. So Signature Bank did a lot of crypto business. And there are claims that the Fed takeover of Signature was meant to have this sort of chilling effect on other banks doing business in crypto. In fact, in, Jan yeah, in January, the Fed had sent out a, a statement to banking organizations. And this statement was very... Mm, ominous, let's say, warning these organizations about doing business in crypto and basically threatening them with further regulation and oversight, stating, you know, it's important that risks related to crypto asset sector that cannot be mitigated or controlled do not mitigate to the or migrate to the banking system. The the agencies are supervising banking organizations that may be exposed to risks stemming from crypto asset sector and carefully reviewing 
any proposals from banking organizations to engage in activities that involve crypto assets. So they're saying, you know, the agencies believe that issuing or holding as principal crypto assets is basically highly likely to be inconsistent with safe and sound banking practices. So this was basically a warning from the Fed to the banking organizations, hey, you better get out of crypto. Right. And this was January 2023. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then all of this starts to unfold with SVB. Well, first we had FTX and all of that in the crypto world, but then with the banking system, SVB, and then um, the signature bank. And so then, uh, meanwhile, Silvergate. Uh, Silvergate is a cornerstone of crypto banking, and it has gone under. Under, and it cited specifically industry and regulatory developments as the reason, stating. In light of recent industry and regulatory developments, Silvergate believes that an orderly wind down of bank operations and a voluntary liquidation of the bank is the best path forward, meaning like we don't even think we can stay solvent under these new um, pressures coming down from the the Fed. So, So the latest banking collapses and that are related to crypto have triggered accusations that the Fed is conducting an Operation Choke Point 2.0 on crypto. So Operation Choke Point 2.0, or Operation Choke Point, (laughs) the original one, 1.0, was an Obama operation to weaponize banking against businesses and industries that they didn't like making it really difficult for them to get financing. And so some Republican lawmakers have called out the Fed chair, uh, Powell, as running an Operation Choke Point 2.0 on crypto, stating that basically some um, what the statements of from banking regulators and the White House has created a heightened uh, supervision for crypto related activities. And it's caused banks to reevaluate their decision to provide banking services to the crypto sector. And it's disturbingly reminiscent of Operation Choke Point. And in that operation, legal investigations found that the government officials illegally targeted lawful business in an ideological crusade based on personal disdain. So... Mm. Yeah, so they're calling out the Fed for chilling um, the crypto industry by going to the banks and saying that, you know, look, you're just putting pressure on the banks to do any kind of business in crypto and with Silvergate being kind of a a real message sent, whether the Fed... uh, acknowledges that or not, it really was a message sent to the bankers. This is what's going to happen to you if you do deal in crypto. And uh, so then we have, then there's Credit Suisse. Uh, so Credit Suisse is like this, you know, very old, very established bank. And here we're seeing them have uh, collapse as well. So the recent bank collapses have caused this sort of crisis of confidence and banking altogether. 
and Credit Suisse, which was already in trouble from all of these scandals, fraudulent loans, corporate espionage, and so forth. So when the bank, the, the bank collapses started happening and the bank runs were happening, uh, this crisis in confidence um, saw their stock tank 25% over fears of a bank collapse contagion. And the Swiss Central Bank had to step in and orchestrate a takeover of Credit Suisse by their rival, UBS. So a lot has gone down in the last few weeks in the banking sector. Yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty historic and monumental changes and consolidations. So what does this all mean? What happens next? I think there's three areas that we need to watch. Number one, a continued consolidation of the banking system and a killing off of some small and mid-sized banks. Uh, Number two, squeezing out crypto even more under this Operation Choke Point 2.0. And three, ramping up of the rolling out of um, CBDCs. Yeah. So we're already seeing depositors are already getting nervous about leaving their money in small and mid-sized banks and going to bigger banks. And uh, bigger banks are seeing this influx of new depositors. So it's already happening, this consolidation. And people need to realize, though, that even these big banks, they're in the same boat. Many of them are in the same boat as SVB was because they did the same thing that SVB did with investing in these treasuries, in these same types of securities. Okay, so they've invested in securities that have a major loss due to the Fed raising rates and total um, it looks like banks have $620 billion in unrealized losses on their investment securities. So if anybody were to do a bank run in any one of these banks that uh, is upside down on their securities, it would be the same situation as SVB or any one of these that have collapsed. And we're likely going to see more fallout and more Fed bailouts because of this. So... It's a real mess. And three banks and get out of the dang FDIC and don't deal with the federal level or the federal reserve at all. There, there we go. And I was just going to get to, um, to part of that one, couple other things I wanted to mention, um, banks uh, that, you know, they're already feeling that pressure of, um, you know, by the feds about not dealing in crypto. And we're seeing that tightening. But as far as the um, the Federal Reserve making moves on crypto, um, so the Fed announced their plans. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, making moves on CBDC. I didn't mean crypto. Um, they recently announced their plans to roll out their infrastructure for the CBDC, which is Fed Now, uh, an instant payment system that is coming this July. Okay, so this is the gateway to get people on board with CBDCs uh, because it's going to offer instant payments. uh, No more waiting for payments to clear your bank. Uh, But this is exactly the same infrastructure that was 
that has been put in place in various parts of the world um, that are that have or are in the process of rolling out CBDCs. I mean, it's, it's necessary to have this sort of foundation in order to move to CBDCs. So it's not a coincidence that FedNow, it didn't happen 10 years ago. FedNow is happening now because they're moving towards CBDCs, right? Right. So, oh, very well orchestrated. Yeah, yeah. So, as the Fed is pressing forward on CBDCs, state legislatures are uh, pushing back. So, last month, um, legislators introduced the CBDC Anti Surveillance State Act to mm. prohibit the Fed from issuing a retail CBDC, not wholesale retail. Um, that's currently in the House Financial. Uh, services committee. So, you know, that hasn't passed or anything yet. It's in the very early stages. Um, and who knows if it would yeah. pass considering uh, may would likely be vetoed by, right. by Biden. But the point being that there is pushback. And then also in Florida, um, just this week, Governor DeSantis announced that he's pushing for legislation to ban the use of CBDCs in Florida. Um, and all of these are good steps, a good start, but I think that we need to be mindful that the Fed is planning probably, I think, to go the wholesale CBDC route first, meaning they would be issuing CBDCs to banks instead of directly to customers with plans to roll out the retail version later of issuing it directly to people. I think that's how they get in the door, get their foot in the door, doing the wholesale CBDCs first. Aye, aye, aye. So we need to to kind of have a discussion about how do we fight this? And uh, this is a perfect time to bring up this article that you published a little while back. But um, this article was originally on Solari Report called, I want to stop CBDCs, what can I do? And it offers so many helpful tips on ways we can fight the CBDC system and navigate this current financial turmoil. And I think we should just kind of read through some of these suggestions because they're fantastic and we should definitely link it too. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, number one, and this is appropriately number one, use cash whenever possible. I know that this is an initiative that you and I have pushed. It's definitely something that Catherine Austin Fist has pushed and been like at the spearhead of over at Solari Report, just using cash. They, uh, I, th- I know that they had an initiative of using cash every Fridays, and now it's just like use cash every day. Use cash right. all the time. You know, I was at the, uh, <clears throat> I was at a coffee shop a couple weeks ago. Not, not like a major chain one either. And I was in line, and I was watching people pull out their cards, and they get like you know bonus points to go towards coffee. And so when I got up there and pulled up my cash, I said, just out of curiosity how many people use cards versus cash here? And she said, oh, I'd say about 80% use cards. So that's oh, just freaking terrible. <laughs> the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely got to work on using cash more and that's yep. a, one way to um, slow down their plans. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And then nurture analog, I think kind of, kind of goes hand in hand, meaning kind of, in, in any way that you can avoid digital systems. You have to have digital for some things you just do, but avoid biometrics, avoid QR codes, all that garbage, right? Absolutely. Even yeah. if it means you're going to get a dollar off your next order. Dang yeah. it. <laughs> Seek integrity. Well, and the other thing is when you use cash as opposed to cards, they're not tracking your data, right? Your mm -hmm. location, what you're spending money on. And and so many people will say, I don't care. What does it matter? So they know that I'm here and I bought a cup of coffee. Because they weaponize, they aggregate all this data together to see who we are, what we're doing, what we feed on, what makes us tick, how they can get to us. I mean, this is how they come up with their playbooks is all this data. And then on top of that, they're getting, you know, if anyone has a credit card, you know, they're getting a kickback on that. They're making money to further their agendas. Right. We're putting so. the hands in, in our enemies. That goes actually to number five, finance your friends, not your enemies. So you want to finance local businesses. You want to finance banks that have integrity. You want to finance people who are aware of what CBDCs would do to the economy and to our freedoms and finance those guys instead of the ones who are trying to push this agenda. Absolutely. And that kind of pairs up with seek integrity number three. Um, seek integrity with everybody that you're going to be doing business with. You know, I mean, really get to know who it is that you're banking with or who you're um, giving your money to um, and make sure that they have the same values as you instead yeah. of you know, funding your enemy. Yep. Um, yeah. Support state and officials and um, all of the officials really who support financial freedom. Um, so like we just talked about, um, there is key legislation at the federal level, also at the state levels, and you want to support those people. And there are some excellent links in here on how you can do that, on how you can contact House Representatives, li your list of senators. Um, there, there's templates in here for letters you can write and things like that. So it's definitely an excellent resource. But yeah, we want to we want to support the people who are actually representing us on this incredibly important issue. Oh, yeah. And let's see. Demand the New York Fed be held accountable. Um, yeah, oh, I mean, I think that we need to have a real discussion about this. And I see it being talked about more now. People are st finally starting to wake up about how dangerous this game is. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we definitely need to rein in the power of the Fed and um, demand the U.S. exit the WHO. That's number eight. So 100% agree with that. Um, because I think that the who really represents not on the financial side, but on the medical industrial complex side, the same, ver the very same control grid, right? Mm -hmm. So the who is and, and the UN and OAS and PEHO, mm -hmm. not just the who. <laughs> Say no to taxation without representation. Definitely right about that. I mean, I can't uh -huh. tell you how irritated I am about having to spend taxes on crap that, you know, never, never benefits me. Right. It always benefits the powers that be. 
That's uh, right. Warning family and friends. I love this one because there are some really excellent links here um, that have just, you know, bombshell videos and of, of what people really need to be aware of with, with how CBDCs are going to take away your freedom. Yeah. Um, and let's see here. Celebrate the opportunity. Decentralizing financial power can significantly improve our economy. So really focus on ways of decentralizing the financial power by acting locally, um, partnering locally, and investing locally. Um, so yeah, I think that this is actually a really good report and it really has a lot of resources in here on um, tangible things that you can do, actual physical things that you can do to fight this initiative and to make a difference in your and own every life. every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. And you feel so much better when you're doing it. Yeah, you do. And I would add to this, uh, to this list, I would add diversify. Because for me, I don't want to put all of my eggs in one basket. I, you know, you have to have a balance. You gotta, you gotta have several different options. So if one thing falls through in one area, you've got multiple backups. Right. That would be my suggestion to people. Yep. I agree. All right. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, a while back, I wrote a comprehensive report on CBDCs because some people are just like, I don't really know what the deal is. Yeah, that was, was a good one. And this gives you like a full scope um, idea of what's going on, not just in America, but around the world, how far along they are. And it does actually mention the uh, FedNow uh, payment system, uh, instant payment system that they're rolling out in July. So um, this is give you just a more comprehensive and there's a ton of links and stuff, too, that help you to get more updated on what what's happening right now, um, where everything's at with CBDCs. Yeah, that was a great report. Very thorough. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to link that one, too. So that's kind of my full scope on what's going on with the banks and where it's all headed. Anything else you wanted to add? Oh, goodness. I think you covered it pretty well. All right. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sticking with my small bank. I'm confident in my small bank. So, yeah, I, I don't want people to feel like they can't have confidence in the small banks. I think it's just important to get to know your banker and you get to know mm -hmm. your bank and their values. And, and ask them what they're doing about the situation they're seeing on Ravel right now or what pressures might be put on them right now what you know right you gotta, just, you gotta ask them and personally i wouldn't keep everything in one place i would have it kind of spread out just to as a lay as several layers of protection you know yeah if possible so yeah that's that's my tip on it all right mm -hmm. all right guys well i think that wraps it up for today thanks for joining us here on dig it please be sure to share this podcast we're on BitChute. Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. No longer on YouTube, so please be sure to subscribe to our other platforms. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.